The Lodge by Robert McMinn Chapter 10 Both Kate and Martin arrived with their parties in the late afternoon on Christmas Eve. You should know about me that I had an unhappy childhood and never really enjoyed Christmas, even as an adult, until I met Grace and her family. They really do things right, and I like to sit back and watch it all happen. I can seem to be a bit of a bystander, but I really am enjoying myself. It was a cold grey day, with high winds and lowering clouds. The last few leaves were being blown off the trees and were circulating around the garden like mini tornadoes. We heard the car pulling up onto the gravel in front of the house and Grace got up to open the door, followed by Beth who had arrived earlier in the afternoon and was already settled in one of the top floor rooms, the ones used by our guests. She seemed quite happy with the accommodation even if it was a bit plain. Meanwhile, Kate had not been back since the time she took the photographs and I might have been seeing things but I thought she looked a little apprehensive as she looked up at the house on getting out of the car. Before Grace had finished hugging her daughter and Justin, her boyfriend, Martin pulled up in his car and there was a general rejoicing. I hung back in the doorway a little bit until it was time to offer assistance with the bags and presents. I get on well with both of Grace's children but I was never sure if we were at the hugging stage. My fault entirely that I ended up in a half hug with Kate not too dissimilar to the pat on the back I gave to Martin. Their father wasn't in the picture. He'd died before I met Grace, so as their stepdad, I'd been the only game in town since they were young teenagers. But of course that is an awkward age to be taking on a new parent. They were understandably very unhappy about the loss of their father, undiagnosed heart condition, and a little resentful of me when I arrived in their lives. So I learned early on to hold back a little and not try too hard. In the end, the patient, non-confrontational approach worked out, and by the time they were sixth formers, we were on friendly terms. They both called me Dad, which was great, but you never really know, do you, if you've done things right. Grace and I had found a Christmas tree in our woods. We had taken a stepladder down, and I'd trimmed the top off a taller tree, and it wasn't bad, almost symmetrical, and quite bushy, not to mention free, and I don't think I'd killed the tree in the process. We had only set it up a day or so before and Grace had done a good job of making the morning room look festive for our first Christmas in what we were still calling the new house. The tree lights were all working and all the baubles were either red or white. The wood burner was lit and once all the presents were arranged around the tree and the fish pie was in the oven, we settled down and had some drinks. We started with a glass of champagne to toast the season and then I switched to scotch and water while the others continued with the fizzy stuff. When we were a couple of drinks in and I was checking my watch thinking about the food, Kate asked, have there been any more incidents? Grace looked at me before replying. There was no point pretending we didn't know what Kate was talking about. I gave her a look that said so. You know that look a kind of eye roll and a pinching of the face that acknowledges that the cat is out of the bag. A couple of guests for the retreat reported some things, she said carefully. Such as, said Kate. Incidents, asked Martin almost simultaneously. What are you talking about was contributed by Beth to add to the general confusion. Grace looked at me again. 
You explain it, Johnny. I know you've been keeping a list. I started at the beginning. When we first moved in, I think we both found it hard to adjust to the country setting, so every noise we heard in the night disturbed us. We have got a Pine Martin living on the property, and she does occasionally make some noise. But there are noises that we don't think she could make. Sounds like moving furniture. Then on some mornings we'd get up to find wood chips on the floor in here, sometimes other parts of the house. On top of this, small items keep going missing. This last was greeted with general scepticism, but Grace backed me up. If it was just one of us, you might assume that somebody was losing their mind, but both of us, and Johnny is so organised and tidy as am I, it's completely out of character for the two of us to be losing things all the time. Go on then, Dad, said Martin. Wait, who's Johnny? asked Justin. Kate explained, Grace's pet name for me, which involved a diversion into 90s television comedy. Once this had been explained, we set off again. Things are going missing, more on which later. And then the last time Kate was here, something smashed a jug in the kitchen when nobody was in there. Plus there was an artefact in a photograph I was taking at the same time, Kate chipped in. Grace looked white around the eyes at this. I thought we said it was an owl, she said. The more I looked at it, the less like an owl it looked, Kate replied. So Kate's question was, have there been any more incidents since then, said Martin. Yes, well, the noises have continued, some things have gone missing, and some have been found again, I said. And then when we had our first retreat guests, two of them reported hearing things and a water glass was knocked over. Not all of these things can be attributed to Martha. Martha? Martin's wife, Maya, was struggling to follow. Our name for the Pine Martin, Grace supplied. So various noises, things go missing, said Martin. You said you found some, though? Well, I got some of those air tags things, didn't I? I said, and one of them was a fob for the car key, which I definitely always put on that dish on the table just inside the front door. Me too, said Grace. Anyway, it did go missing, so I used the Find My app on the phone and I tracked it down. Where was it? I looked at Grace and stood up. It'll have to wait until after dinner, I said. We moved into the kitchen and the fish pie, bubbling away and brown on the top, was retrieved from the Rayburn. I supplemented this with a freshly baked loaf of bread and quickly zapped some frozen veg in the microwave. We're neither of us Catholic, but agreed that fish pie is the best food for Christmas Eve. I'd happily eat it for Christmas dinner, to be honest, although the same would be true of a twice-baked potato. We opened a bottle of Alsatian white wine and dug in. The conversation about the missing items seemed to have been forgotten until we were lingering over the shop-bought raspberry roulade and coffee. So don't leave us in suspense, Dad, said Kate. Where were the keys? I finished my coffee. Follow me. We all got up, Maya carrying Ryan, who was flagging by now, and I led them upstairs all the way to the top floor and the bedroom that housed the hatch to the loft. We were using it as a box room, although I wasn't keen on leaving boxes in there for long. So it didn't have any more furniture in it than it had had when we moved in. We'd left the overhead light as a bare bulb, which didn't do a great job of illuminating the space, creating stark shadows wherever you moved. I walked over to the corner 
and showed them a section of the skirting board that had been repaired at some point in the past. It was a section of about 20 centimetres that had been slotted in as a replacement for a bit that must have had a touch of dry rot or some such. By pressing my fingers against this short section of skirting, I was able to slide it up and reveal behind it a hole. The others all looked at it. In here, I said, I found a box of matches, the car keys, Grace's reading glasses and a spare watch strap. Stunned silence. What's that round thing there now? asked Maya. I looked closer. There was something in there, which was hard to see in the shadowed recess. I bent down to retrieve it. A Christmas tree bauble, one of the red ones. We all looked at each other. Surely this is an animal, said Justin. I'd believe that, apart from the fact that it's in a place accessible to us, I said. I mean, if it was Martha somehow transporting things through the walls, she wouldn't be putting things here, behind a convenient sliding panel, would she? A few moments thought, and I think everyone conceded that point. Then again, I didn't understand how these things were being transported through the house invisible to us, unless through the walls. This is really disturbing, said Kate. Harmless enough, said Martin. I think so, I said. A bit of mischief, that's all. How long has the bauble been there? Well, we decorated the tree a couple of days ago, said Grace. I didn't notice that any had gone missing. Interesting choice of items, mused Justin. I mean, it has taken things you were bound to miss before now. Your keys, your glasses, matches, did you say? If anything, taking a bauble seems like a minor crime, something you might not even notice, ever. Martin added, and whatever it is, wasn't reckoning on modern technology revealing the hiding place. Talking of which, said Kate, I'm interested in how long this has been a hiding place, like... Who made it? Who used it? And how long ago? There was nothing else in there? No, I said slowly. She had a point. Did the fact that there had been nothing in there that didn't belong to us mean anything? If this had been there when Alec and Lou were living in the house, why wasn't any of their stuff in there? Perhaps there's more than one hiding place, Grace asked. We would only know if something else attached to an RF tag went missing. While Ryan was put into his bed, a travel cot assembled in the bedroom Martin and Maya would use, we repaired back to the morning room, now completely misnamed because this was now our all-day room, and put on the TV, mainly to try to get everybody's mind off the boggle, or whatever it might be. This didn't work, however, because Kate had been brooding about the disrupted photo. So all that has been happening in the house, she said. What about outside the house, where the owl was? You could hear her put the inverted commas around the word owl. We have a few visitors to the garden, Grace said. Johnny can show you some videos tomorrow of all the animals who visit the garden at night. Just animals, though, said Martin. Well but I wanted to drop the subject and definitely didn't want to get into the scarecrow business. So I just said, yes, sir. a great range of wildlife and a friendly donkey. I 
wanted people to sleep and not lie awake listening to the night sounds. I was already concerned that little Ryan had heard more than he should. It was great having a houseful. For once, when you heard a creaking floorboard or a thump in the distance, you could put it down to the other occupants and not let your imagination go wild. So it's hard to say whether there were any other incidents over the few days that we had guests. People didn't complain of disturbed sleep, nothing major went missing, I mean if anything did we didn't notice, and the house remained warm and full of celebration for the duration. Ryan was too young to know he was supposed to get up early on Christmas morning, so we all had a lie-in. And then I got up to make breakfast, pancakes and a big pot of tea. When we were all gathered in the morning room again and the fire was lit, we opened the presents and then went for a circular walk. There's not much more to say about this visit. As I said, I don't think anything untoward happened after the discovery of the purloined bauble, Edgar Allan Poe Christmas special. But I did get the strangest feeling after that walk. There was a route that paralleled the river near our house, then crossed over on a footbridge, circled through the woods and then came back out on the main road a couple of miles away. Then it was a question of crossing over the stile and walking across a couple of fields on the public footpath until he reached home again. The last field we passed through was the one where the scarecrow was standing and where sometimes the donkey appeared to be grazing. And don't ask me, by the way, why anyone would let a donkey graze in a field that needed the services of a scarecrow. There's no sense to any of this. So we did that walk. It was a fresh day, and we were working up an appetite for dinner, which we planned to eat in the evening rather than in the middle of the day. I'd prepared a three-bird roast, which being boneless wouldn't actually take forever to cook. The potatoes were parboiled, and ready to roast, and everything was primed to go in the Rayburn as soon as we returned. So we weren't exactly in a hurry, but as we got closer to home, I was very much focused on getting busy in the kitchen as soon as we were in the house. All of which preamble is just trying to remember the state of mind I was in as we walked across that field. I didn't see the scarecrow on this occasion, but as I looked up at the house... I was overcome with a feeling that the house... No, I don't know how to put it. I was going to say that the house knew, but then I don't think I could explain to you what I think it knew. What I'm driving at here is that I got the feeling the house was playing a long game, that it wasn't going to show its hand while there were so many people around, and that it was waiting, almost, for people to leave. The Boggle, in other words, had decided to be on its best behaviour while we had guests. Which doesn't make any sense, because it most certainly had not been on its best behaviour when we had three strangers staying in the house. So I'm probably not getting close to it, except to say that I got that really strong feeling of being watched again as I crossed that field, and as I looked up at the top window... No. I didn't see anything. I could just feel a kind of suspenseful waiting. <laughs>